0: One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Well, good morning, One Church. Happy Sunday to you wherever you're at today. I hope that you are sensing the presence of God and celebrating the goodness of God. I know some of you may be in house church. Uh, Some of you may be gathered with your family, with your roommates, however you're joining us today. We are so glad, so honored that we can be together. And uh, I know that this rhythm, although a year and a half ago we never would have imagined all that we've been through, this has kind of become the normal for us for this season. But I'm so excited for where we are going And even as we enter into the fall season, we are filled with expectation of the great things that God has in store for us. Uh, As you all know, we are moving forward with our building program, our building plans. And I'm telling you, it is going to be awesome. And uh, we can't wait to be able to get together, not only on Sundays, but, but throughout the week that we can have a space even where our house churches can gather, where we can serve and love the community. And so we're so excited about that. But even as we are in the Uh, preparation phase, the renovation phase on the building. I felt like the Lord had put on my heart that God was also going to do the same thing in us as people. And really, as we see in the natural, the renovation of the building and the the restoration of the building, that God wants to do that among us. And as we are moving into the fall season, Uh, I want to just kind of uh, reaffirm that in our hearts, that God is reforming us as a community. And that's what we are doing as we're gathering together on Sundays. We'll be back together next Sunday at the Winter Park Community Center. But today online, as we're gathering around the Word of God, and we are studying through the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps one of the most power-packed passages in all of Scripture, the words of Jesus and uh, we are looking at that to discover what kind of people is God calling us to be. And, and I really believe there's no greater place in all of Scripture for us to discover what is the culture that God is forming us into. And of course all of it for Jesus flows out of his good news that the kingdom of God has come, that he has come to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we as a church are not asking what is our culture or what is the culture around us, but what is the culture of the kingdom? We want to be a counterculture community as Pastor Nate spoke a couple of weeks ago that we should be the light of the world that we should stand out, that we should illuminate the world around us. And last Sunday, I spoke to you out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, a message that I called the law of the land. And I want to kind of pick back up on that and springboard out of that today and give a little more uh, meditation, a little more teaching on that. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And Jesus says this, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets." That's Jesus's word for the Bible. Don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus is talking about this wonderful proclamation, this wonderful gospel that he has come to restore heaven back to humanity, heaven to earth. He is now laying out what I call the law of the land. You know, many of us today would like to think that Jesus would come and would just say, you know what, I've paid for your sins. Now you can just kind of live however you want to live you know, all of that Old Testament stuff, all of that Bible stuff, that's so old-fashioned. Now we're more up-to-date, we're more progressive, and now you can kind of just, you know, live your own truth. And that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to establish it. I've come not only to pay for your sins but i've also come so that you can live the life you were intended to live the life that is revealed to us through the word of god and i shared with you last week kind of the illustration of the yellow line in the middle of the road you know uh, all of us have probably at some point and or time you know uh, swerved over the yellow line a little bit Uh, Not intentionally, maybe you've run off on one side or the other, but I think we probably would all adjust back to uh, life in the lines, driving within the lines. And I told you that that line is really a picture of the law. I love the line. When I'm driving down the road and there's traffic coming, I'm going 50 miles an hour and there's traffic coming the other way at 50 miles an hour and I blow past them at 100 miles an hour, I got to tell you, I'm thankful for the line. Not because I love the line, but because I love life. And the same is true about the word of God, that the word of God in the Old Testament and now also in the New Testament gives us the boundaries, gives us the lines which lead us to life. Jesus is saying this, there is a right way to live. He says you, you need to live in a way that is righteous, Now, ultimately, he has given us his righteousness, but out of that righteousness and out of that work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it empowers us to live in a way that is right, a way that leads to life. Just as there is a right way to drive, there is a right way to live. You know, if you pulled onto the interstate, I four-headed the wrong way, how many of you know it wouldn't be long before you'd realize you're going the wrong way. Now, you can say, well, I think this is the right way. Uh, This is my truth. This is the way I want to live. I want to drive on the left side, Uh, to which the police would quickly remind you that it's not your world, and they would haul you away to jail. Uh, But ultimately, it's not about the lines. It's about life. And so the law is in place in order to protect our life and the life of others. And as we drive, there's a right way to drive, There's a wrong way to drive. And Jesus is going to talk to us in this passage, really, he's going to give the ethic of the kingdom of God or the morality of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is, I've not come to abolish the truth of God's word. I've come to fulfill it and to empower you to live a life the right way, to live life the right way. He's going to talk to us in the following passages about how to have right emotions. He's going to talk to us about anger, how, how we should respond when we're angry. He's going to talk to us about right relationships. And what do we do when we have a, a problem in a relationship, a disagreement, a rift in a relationship? How do we have right relationships? He's going to talk to us about right sexuality, the, the wonderful gift of sexuality that God has Created And God has given to us. How are we to use that? There is a right way and there is a wrong way. He's going to talk to us uh, about money. How do we use our money in a right way? Not a way that controls us. Not a way that brings us into anxiety and fear and worry. There is a right way. But the fact is that within every single one of us, we can often have this little voice on the inside of us that can rise up. And can respond like this, you're not the boss of me. Have you ever had that thought? Uh, I recently was in a parking lot and there was a guy in an orange vest directing traffic where to go and to be honest I really didn't want to follow him. I kind of saw him in his orange vest and I thought, you know, who do you think you are? You're not the boss of me to which I quickly repented and I recognized, no, I need to follow him. That's not very much like Jesus. So I repented and I did what he told me to do. But there is within all of us, that little voice that can rise up in small ways or in big ways. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, you see the the sign that says wet paint don't touch. And there's something within us that just says, uh, watch me, you're not the boss of me. Do you remember that old show with Tony Danza, who's the boss? Who's the boss? Well, that's the question of all of life. Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Who has the right, you know, to use the driving illustration, who has the right to say that we drive on the right side and not on the left side? In life, who has the right to say, this is the way that we should handle relationships or handle our sexuality or handle uh, our finances? Who is the boss? And really at the core of being a follower of Jesus is the acknowledgement that Jesus is our boss, to use the language of scripture that Jesus is Lord. Now, maybe you hear that and maybe you would say, well, uh, I'm not a Christian. He's not the Lord of my life. And I would say, and I believe Jesus would say that you have the right to choose that for yourself but you also have the responsibility then of the consequences of that choice. And Jesus has come to give life and life to the full. He's come to show us the right way to live. And to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian, really means that I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe that God cares about how I live and that through his word, he's showing me the right Way to live. The Bible speaks to all of life. Uh, It speaks to how we parent our children. It speaks to, again, how we handle our finances, how we handle our possessions, how we handle our time, what we do with our bodies. And to be a follower of Jesus is really to recognize that Jesus is our boss and that his word is the standard or is the law that leads us to life. And so I want to talk to you about really being a culture of compassionate conviction. Uh, I talked about the law last week and out of that is the conviction. And, you know, we, uh, all of us have convictions. The question is, where do your convictions come from? Do you live with biblical convictions or do you live with cultural convictions? Are we a culture of conviction or do our convictions simply reflect the culture around us? Who has the authority? Who has the right to draw the lines in your life? You know, some people would say, you know, I, I, uh, I just do whatever I feel. Here's the problem. My feelings change. And can you imagine what would happen in our city if one day we drove on the right and then the next day we drove on the left and the next day we drove on the right and then it's you know, wherever you want to drive, however you feel. Here's a bucket of paint. You just go draw the lines, the lanes, wherever you want to. You know, my feelings change. Depending on whether or not I've had my morning coffee or not, my feelings are ever-changing. And our feelings are a terrible place to base our convictions. Now, you know, sometimes we can base our convictions on, you know, our, uh, what our culture says. Maybe our favorite Instagrammer or our favorite uh, influencer, and whatever they say, that becomes our conviction. Or maybe it's a party platform, and whatever our party says, and whatever the position of our party is, well, that becomes our position. And and I want to tell you that there is something that is greater. There's something that's more enduring to base your life upon, and that's the Word of God. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. In other words, I didn't come to deconstruct God's word. I've come to fulfill it. And so I believe that God is calling us to be, as we are a counterculture community, that we will be a community of conviction, a community that bases our conviction on the word of God, that what the Bible says is right, we believe is right. What the Bible says is wrong, we believe is wrong. And again, it's all in the context of compassion. And so I want to give you today really a framework for following a biblical conviction. Four things that really become guides to understanding what it looks like to live with a biblical conviction. The first thing that I believe we need, if we're gonna live with a biblical conviction, the first thing we have to recognize is what I would just say is documentation. Documentation. And that is this what does the Bible actually say? What does the Bible actually say? You know, we are in the process of renovating the, this building that will become the open house. And I'm so grateful for the incredible team that God has put together as a part of our church that's using their amazing gifts. Brad Sprung as an engineer and a general contractor, J.D. Carling uh, is serving as our architect, and they are just incredibly gifted in what they do. But can you imagine that if they were building, they 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 built or they were designing the building just according to how they felt. If they just said, you know what, I don't really feel like putting an exit in this room. I know that the code requires an exit. I know that there is the documentation of the code that requires an exit in this room. Or or maybe I know that there is the code that requires uh, the, the ceiling to carry this level of weight in order to not collapse on us. But, you know, I just kind of feel like not putting a door there. I just kind of feel like, you know, we'll just do whatever we want to do. Can you imagine if they were led by their feelings? I'm so grateful to tell you they're not led by their feelings, they're led by the code. (laughs) And they're constantly going back to what is the code? What does it actually say? Because the code reveals our rights And it also reveals our responsibilities, that we have a responsibility to follow the code, not because we just care about the code, but because we care about people. And the same is true in the word of God. It's important that we know what the document says, not what we think it says, not what we would like it to say, but what it actually says. You know, sometimes people think there's certain things in the Bible that aren't in the Bible things like god helps those who help themselves that's not in the bible that's just a you know christian sounding nicety that's not true in the bible it's important that we actually know what does the bible say in fact the the scripture says this god's commandment the first commandment to israel in deuteronomy chapter 6 Verse 4 to 9, it said this, therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe that it may be well with you. Notice that, careful to observe, listen, hear, be careful to observe, know what I'm telling you so that it might go well with you. And that you might multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So he's saying, listen up so that you will experience the fullness of the blessing that God has promised to you. Then he says this in verse four. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, Jesus reiterates this and calls it the greatest commandment. In other words, what was in the Old Testament, Jesus is reaffirming in the New Testament. It's the same documentation. It's the same words again in the New Testament. And then he says this, God says this, these words which I have commanded you today shall be in your heart. They should be in your heart. How do they get in your heart? Verse seven, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. When you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And if you continue reading, you discover all of the blessings that are on the obedience to the word of God. But God is saying this. I want you to listen up. I want you to pay careful attention, and, and I want you to take my word, and I want you to study it. I want you to get it in front of you. I want you to talk about it when you rise up. In other words, first thing in the morning, that you don't check the, uh, your favorite news story. You check the word of God. You get it in front of your eyes. Before you go to bed at night, you're in the word of God. When you, when you walk, uh, I know here in Florida, many of us don't walk. But when you walk, or in other words, whenever you're on your way somewhere, that you're constantly getting the word of God in front of you. You know, we live in the information age. We are bombarded with information. I mean, you could never exhaust the podcasts that are out there, the books that are out there, the blogs that are out there, all of the information that is out there. But here's what I want you to understand. The information you follow determines the life you lead. And so if you want to live life to the full, you need to get in the information of God's word. Very very practically, that means you need to read it a lot. You need to study it a lot. You need to memorize it. Sometimes we memorize all of our, you know, favorite sports stats, or sometimes we memorize all of our, you know, favorite um, restaurants or the favorite menu or favorite this or that, whatever it is. But when it comes to the word of God, here's what I want you to, uh, I want to ask you, do you know your Bible? I know it may sound old-fashioned, but do you know your Bible? Do you understand the documentation Because the information you follow determines the life you lead. So we need to get the documentation. If we're going to have a biblical conviction, we first need to know what does the Bible say? What does it actually say? And the reality is it will take a lifetime of devotion to God's word to fully grasp what God's word has to say on all of life. But I love what God says to Joshua in Joshua chapter one, verse eight, this book of the law, the scripture, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but in it you shall meditate day and night. In other words, you just repeat it over like a little mantra. You just say it again and again. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but in it you shall meditate day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In other words, what you do with the Bible will determine your quality of life. The information you follow will determine the life you lead. And so number one, if we want a biblical conviction, we need to understand what's the documentation. The second thing we need to understand is the interpretation. The interpretation. If the documentation is what does the Bible actually say, the interpretation is what does it mean? Now, I will just say this right up front, that's not always easy. If you've ever read the book of Leviticus or the book of Deuteronomy, you can read it and, and think, what does this even mean? That's true for a number of reasons. One is that much of it is, you know, it's, it's written from another culture. It's written from another time in history. But that doesn't mean that it's not true. It just may not be easy, but as we devote ourselves to it, we need to understand what does it mean? What's the interpretation? And just as it is in law, it's not always easy to understand law, that's why there are lawyers. What's the job of a lawyer? Very simply, the job of a lawyer is to know the law and to understand what does it mean? And any lawyer will tell you that one of the ways that you understand the law is through precedent. Precedent is a a judgment made in the past that becomes authoritative in how we understand the law today. So there's the documentation in our nation of the Constitution, but then there is the precedent How has that been understood throughout history? And here's what I want you to understand is that Jesus reveals to us the precedent of God's word. If you wanna know how do I live in the way of God, in the way of God's word, the way you live in the way of God is by looking at the life of Jesus, by looking at how did Jesus handle the word of God? And not only what did Jesus do, but what did Jesus say? Jesus' teaching and Jesus' uh, Jesus's life and Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the New Testament becomes the precedent. It becomes the lens through which we understand the Old Testament. I'll give you an example. In the Old Testament, we are forbidden or God's people were forbidden from eating shellfish or eating pork. Now, to be honest, I don't totally know what the reason or rationale was for that. Uh, some would say, even now, that those um, foods are not healthy for us. But we, we do understand through the lens of the New Testament that God spoke to Peter, rise, kill, and eat. What I've called clean, don't call unclean. And so we understand the law of the Old Testament around diet, diet, through the lens of the New Testament. So there are some things that were relevant and applicable in the Old Testament that are not in the New Testament. And so we understand the law through the precedent of the person of Jesus, the gospels, the good news of Jesus, and also through the writings of the New Testament form the precedent to help us to understand the Old Testament. And in Uh, So we need to devote ourselves to understanding the Bible. You know, there are some laws that were relevant at one time, but are no longer binding. That's true in the Old Testament. There were some laws that were binding for God's people under the Old Covenant, but are no longer binding under the New. Just as there are in our culture today, there are laws which are applicable at a certain time, but not at another. You know, I don't give... Clara the keys to my car. But I soon will be giving Anders the keys to my car. Why? Because it's not good to give a two-year-old or a three-year-old the keys to your car, but a 16-year-old it is. It's binding at one time, but not at another. So we need to understand the documentation and the interpretation of scripture. And then the third thing I want you to see, if we're to live with a biblical conviction, we need to know not only what does the text say, And what did it mean? What's the context or the timeless principle that we interpret it through? But the third thing is what is the the revelation? The revelation. If the documentation is what did it say? What does the Bible say? And the interpretation is what does it mean? The revelation is what does it mean for me? What does it mean for me? What's God saying to me? And the truth is that the Bible doesn't tell us personal details for all of life. But as we devote ourselves to studying, to knowing, to understanding the word of God, God will bring revelation. That means this, that we will understand how his word and how his will apply to our lives. There is a difference between the logos, the written word of God, and another Greek word which is rhema. That means the living word. When that word becomes alive and it's no longer just a history book and it's no longer a legal book, but it's God's word to me. I had a moment like that uh, at the end of 2020 as we were seeking God's will for our church and where we were going. I read out of 2 Kings chapter 7, the story of the seven lepers outside of the city of Samaria. And as I was reading it, there wasn't anything in there that said, here's what you should do. One church, you should do this. That's not what it said. But as I read that story, I read this phrase, why should we sit here until we die? And that documentation as I interpreted and understood what God was saying to those people that God is looking for people who will take bold steps of faith, that information became revelation. It came alive to me and I knew God was speaking to me, although it wasn't in the text, but it was God's word to me. Why should we sit here until we die? In other words, we've got to do something. We've got to take bold action. And we stepped out towards buying a building and God miraculously opened the door. What is that? That is the documentation and the information becoming revelation, becoming revelation or the documentation and interpretation becoming revelation. God is speaking to us. And I want you to know that God wants to speak to you through his word. If you're a mom or a dad, God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you revelation on how we parent our children. If you're an employer, God wants to give you wisdom. He wants to give you revelation on how to handle your business, how to handle your employees, whatever your circumstance of life is, God wants to speak to you. And it's in that place of revelation that it becomes personal. In other words, it becomes a personal conviction. You know, there's a difference between somebody else telling me that something is good or not good or the way I should go or not go. There's a difference between that and when God says it to me. It becomes a personal conviction. The Bible doesn't tell us all the details of life. It doesn't tell you what car you should drive. It doesn't answer all of the questions. Sometimes we'd like it to answer it doesn't give us our budget breakdown. It doesn't tell us, uh, you know, what entertainment we should watch and how much we should watch. But it does give us principles that will become revelation. God will speak to us through our word, so, uh, through his word. So the documentation becomes interpretation, which brings revelation and leads to application. In other words, what do I do with what God has said? And here's what I want you to understand, that that application will always produce love. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, understanding the will of God through the word of God, bringing a conviction into our hearts will always produce love. Let me say it this way, that your conviction should never become a club to beat other people. When God speaks something to you, even if it's clear in scripture, that never becomes a club that we beat other people with. That is always a hand extended to lift others up. It will build other people up. That's how you know if it's a biblical conviction or not. You know, I know the time that we live in, there's all kinds of disagreement around whether we should get the vaccine, not get the vaccine, wear a mask, not wear the mask. You know, in the last year, it was who do we vote for? And I wish that the Bible just told us everything. I wish the Bible told us how to to do that, how to handle it, but it doesn't. It gives us principles and God brings conviction into our hearts, but ultimately the way we walk that out should always be in love. If you're a person that feels the conviction to wear a mask, then I would encourage you to wear a mask. And if you're in a place that requires a mask, I would encourage you, uh, wear a mask. <laughs> let's, let's not be jerks for Jesus. Let's be loving. Let's, let's be people that live at peace with others. While at the same time, uh, if you're not required to wear a mask, and I'm glad to not have to wear a mask when I don't need to, but if you're not required to wear a mask, don't put down those who do wear masks. It's different convictions. The Bible doesn't tell us one wear the other, so we're to walk it out in love. Paul says it this way, who are you to judge another servant? To their master they stand or fall. So ultimately, if we're living life in line with the word of God, it will manifest in love for other people. It will manifest in a culture of compassionate conviction. And that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be a counterculture in a world that is filled with anger, a world that is filled with hate, a world that is Arguing with one another and at the same time has no basis of ultimate right and wrong We want to be a people that say we believe that God's Word tells us the right way to live But we also recognize that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God And it's God's goodness and God's kindness to us that has brought us to repentance So in closing, I wanna ask you a couple of questions. And if you're in your house church, maybe this is a point of conversation. The first question is this, who's the boss? Who's the boss of your life? Have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered control of your life to Jesus? Is there an area of your life that you have not surrendered to his control? Who's the boss of your life? The second question I wanna ask you is, when was the last time that you changed your life or changed your lifestyle in order to align with the word of God. I love what Martin Luther said, the great reformer. He said that the life of a Christian is a life of repentance. Every day as the Holy Spirit convicts us, as the Holy Spirit so lovingly and gently guides us, this is the way, walking in it. We need to be quick to respond. Who's the Lord of your life? What areas have you responded and and repented over? And the last question is this, is there an area of your life that God is convicting you of today? Perhaps it's an area in your family, perhaps it's an area of work, perhaps it's an area of your sexuality or how you handle your finances, and maybe it might not be an area of sin, but maybe you sense the Holy Spirit bringing you back, saying there is a better way to live the right way to live, a way that leads to life to the full. So Father, I pray for your people today. I pray for every person that's listening to this. God, we thank you that your word is true. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people that are not blown by the winds of culture, that don't have just cultural convictions, but that we would be a people that are a culture of conviction, a culture of compassionate conviction so that we could be a light to the world around us. We thank you for it, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait to be together next Sunday, the Winter Park Community Center. I'll look forward to seeing you then.